The following talk was recorded at Label the Planet 2021 Empowering Users, the annual conference on current issues in ethics, social justice and technology from the Free Software Foundation. Label the Planet is a live conference and speakers often use slides and other visual tools to assist their presentation. You can see the videos of these talks at media.libreplanet.org or on the FSF Peertube channel. Label Planet speakers do not represent the mission of the Free Software Foundation. We host speakers talking about their use of free software in different kinds of political and commercial work. The FSF supports their freedom, but does not take positions on any political issues other than those necessary to uphold the principles of free software. Like all the FSF's work on behalf of the grievance of all computer users, Nemo Planet is made possible by thousands of individuals. To keep our work going, please consider becoming an associate member via my.fsf.org join or making a donation at my.fsf.org donate. You can stay informed by subscribing to our newsletter, The Free Software Supporter, at fsf.org fss and for more information on LibrePlanet, you can visit libreplanet.org conference. Okay. Hello, Libre Planet 2021. Uh, this talk is titled Building Equitable Free Software Communities for All and will be presented by Karen Johnson, a DevOps engineer and people ops manager at Civic Actions, a services firm that provides technological support with a focus on free software. Karen is a free software evangelist with plenty of experience building creative, robust, solutions for GNU Linux systems, and she works to infuse diversity, equity, and inclusion into all parts of her work. In this talk, Karen will talk about how to make free software communities welcoming, active, equitable, and resilient places where everyone feels respected and is eager to participate. Okay, thank you so much, um, and welcome everyone. So today I'm going to be talking about free software communities. Um, and I'll just rehash exactly what was beautifully intro there. How can we build inclusive, engaging communities that make people want to stay and participate? And how can we infuse our free software values into the tech community at large? So I'll talk a little bit about some examples of free software communities, though I'm sure if you're attending Libre Planet, you can name plenty of them. We'll talk about why you should care about community building, and I'll tell you a little bit about why I personally believe it's so important. Then I'll talk about some pain points or common complaints about building free software communities. And finally, I'll offer some solutions, ideas, and things that you can take back to your own communities and projects. So let's dive in. What does it mean, free software community? As is often the case, someone already said this better than I could, and in this case, it very fittingly was the FSF. The free software community is a worldwide movement dedicated to the goal of freedom in the use of technology. This diverse community is made up of programmers, designers, writers, and everyday advocates who contribute to make and promote software that respects our freedoms. To really get down to the basics of these different communities, they are generally framed around solving problems. This might mean bug fixes or ports or innovating new solutions. They usually have some kind of collaborative participation and often they're volunteer organizations. 
by nature of often being distributed, they tend to be made up of diverse community members. And here, diverse can mean a lot of different things, including where you're from, what social or affinity groups you're a part of, neurodiversity, et cetera, but also experience and skill level, area of expertise, and level of participation. Finally, you don't have to be a kernel hacker to participate in a free software community, though I would also caution us to be mindful of not assuming who should or should not be volunteering for a technical role, especially based on what they look like. So I grabbed um, just the last few free software communities I've interacted with in the past week or so. I, like many of you, I'm sure, actually interact with many, many free software communities on a regular basis, uh, but these are all ones that have put some focus on their community building. So there's Apache saying community-led development the Apache way, Drupal telling us come for the software, stay for the community. And then we have Triscoll discussing community guidelines and what I'm sorry is a very unhelpful screen grab from Jitsi's community page, but I swear it's talking about its wonderful and helpful community. All of these free software communities are putting the emphasis on the community building, not just on the software that it creates. So they're attracting users to participate in the community, not just to utilize the software. Now you might be thinking these are all huge, highly structured communities with tons of resources. So I wanted to take a moment to point out that not all free software communities are gigantic. Um, your experience might be any one of these. I'm one person doing this on the side and I could use some help. We're a small group of folks working together and it feels like a lot of work for not a lot of people or we're a volunteer run community with built-in processes and categories of work. So your experience could be any one of these or something else entirely, but I hope that the things that I'm talking about today will res resonate for you regardless. So why are free software communities important? This question might seem silly, but I think that a lot of people engage with free software communities without always thinking explicitly about why they matter. We're all here because we care deeply about this. And I want to make sure that we're mentioning the why it matters part really regularly in our communities. So why are free software communities important? And also why did I add the word equitable to this talk? These communities are every bit as important as the software they create. And that's because how we build software matters. Our communities set up our practices and our ways of building software. On a very high level, we should care about our communities because they make free software possible and available. The communities frame the software that they create. If our goal is higher adoption of free software, then we need to make sure that our free software communities are actually built to do that. A community that is not inclusive or equitable is a community that is not focused on inclusive or equitable adoption by end users. So why do I personally care about this so much? Well, I owe my career to free software communities. Um, in fact, I've been engaging with free software for most of my life. So here's my little life story for you in free software URLs. I grew up playing the game Doom, and that first link is the source code of Doom, which was released in 97, so that folks could tinker around with it. Uh, later on in life, um, I joined the DOSBox community, and it was because I wanted to play Doom again, and I wanted to experience it the way that I did when I was a kid. So that was my first exposure to a free software community that was doing something really for the joy of the community. And then when I wanted to increase my Nix understanding and graduate from my first GNU Linux distro, I spent countless hours 
learning and engaging with FreeBSD. And then I found Arch Linux, which is my current distro. And that has an incredibly active community. So those communities actively nurtured my love of GNU Linux and got me to the point where I wanted to make it my career. I wanted to make it my life to work with free software. The problem was that I didn't have a computer science degree. So instead, I turned to free software communities again. I volunteered for two communities. One was a video game community where I built game servers on Debian. And I turned that into a training opportunity and offered folks in the community free GNU Linux lessons. And that was basically just because I wanted friends to talk to about GNU Linux. Um, but I hoped that they would then take that knowledge into the world with them. Um, so they could watch my terminal and I had them run little sandbox commands to gain familiarity with the operating system and to understand how it was running their game. And then I also became a system staff member for a group called the Organization for Transformative Works, uh, which if I can reach back into the depths of my memory, I believe was also running Debian and it had a Ruby code base. And I was able to leverage these completely volunteer roles in free software communities to get my first job as a sysadmin, which uh, jumpstarted my career. Um, and finally, when I was ready for my next career move, I knew that I wanted to work with a company that valued free software. And so I came to work at my current job uh, where we do a ton of work with the Drupal community as well as GNU Linux of various flavors. And we try to champion some additional free software tools like Moodle. So I wanna briefly talk about why I am highlighting equity today. Diversity has become more and more of a rallying cry in hiring and community participation. In fact, the FSF quote that I shared earlier highlighted the fact that free software is a diverse community of users. We know that many people in many different places with different backgrounds and identities are using free software, and that's great. So the next piece of this puzzle is making sure that our communities have equitable structures for participation. So in the context of free software communities, diversity is who comes in the door, who participates in our communities. Equity is what structures we create and how they impact members of our communities, so how they can participate. And then inclusion, also a big part of what I'm talking about today, very closely connected. What opportunities are available to folks? What's championed and supported by the community for all community members? How welcoming is our community to its members? So free software communities can be powerful. They can be sources of education, friendship, validation, and they can be think tanks that produce innovative community-driven solutions to software needs. So why isn't everyone participating? When I talked about my own background, I listed a lot of projects and communities that I've been a part of, but I also could have given you a list of communities that I tried to engage with and couldn't. So I've seen plenty of these things in the wild myself, but I also spent some time reading about other people's experiences and interviewing them about why they don't stick around in a community. So these are some pain points that come up repeatedly. Difficulty getting involved, no training, limited time to support new community members, a bootstrap mentality, unclear goals, and finally, community toxicity. Let's talk about them. One of the biggest complaints I hear about free software communities is that folks cannot figure out a meaningful way to participate. And what do I mean by meaningful? Well, in some cases, they can't figure out how to participate at all because there's no website text about it or no readme in your repo that's giving clear information on how to get involved. Maybe your site navigation makes sense only to you or you assume people already know how to get involved, but you haven't actually said it. 
Or maybe you're assuming that the communication method that works really well for you personally is equally easy and accessible for everyone. Maybe you exclusively chat on Mumble or on IRC, and maybe not having additional ways for new users to ask those initial questions is actually preventing them from participating. Another common problem I see is giant walls of bugs that aren't clearly or consistently labeled. So it's great to point out smaller issues that a new person could take on, but it's also important to remember what it feels like to be new to a system. So we should not be labeling bugs as trivial or new user friendly if they are not actually trivial to a new person, but simply to you who's been looking at them for years. So let's say that our new community member has figured out how to get involved. The next thing they will likely need is some training. So the pain points here are no documentation, documentation that requires you to have the exact same operating system software versions and setup as whoever wrote the docs or documentation that is extremely stale. Another tendency is to just throw work at a new volunteer because you don't really know what they can do yet. And it feels awkward to just have them waiting helplessly looking for something to do. But without a clear onboarding process, you're likely to get confused participants who are not necessarily solving the right problems or writing the code that you want or expect. And then finally, there just might not be a ton of support for onboarding at all. Usually a new community member will show up and say that they have issues getting their environment ready so that they can work. And if they don't get responses from the community to support that setup, they are quite likely to leave and never come back. So even though those questions can feel boring and frustrating if you've answered them many times, from the perspective of the new person, you're asking them to do work, but refusing to help them get to a place where they can actually do it. And that's frustrating. Hand in hand with that user support piece is the RTFM or bootstrap mentality. Um, you might hear someone in the community complaining that people need too much help or they're asking questions that have been answered elsewhere. Things like, nobody ever held my hand and I figured it out. If you can't search the docs for this common issue, you probably shouldn't be here or come back when you know how to use a computer, that kind of stuff. This creates a community where there is no space for beginner questions. And often this is characterized by impatience in the community as though those beginner questions are an interruption to something more important. I just mentioned impatience. Sometimes that's coming from a community where people feel stretched very thin. So only a few people have the answers to the more complex questions and everyone is vying for their attention. The community might have a small number of highly active participants and it would crumble if those few people suddenly stopped participating. And because information is not easily and evenly shared, onboarding a new participant to the point of being productive and useful can be extremely difficult. Uh, the next pain point is directionless communities or communities with unclear goals. Maybe your community doesn't have a clear mission or goal. People might be fighting about how to solve problems or in what order. You might be receiving conflicting fixes to problems and folks are getting mad if their fix isn't the one that was chosen. In these situations, there is often a feeling that you're just not making progress on anything. It's a bit of treading water and that everything you try to do is a big fight. And then my last pain point is community toxicity. Now, I think that we've all heard about toxic communities at some point in our free software lives. I thought a lot about how to describe this, but honestly, this is what it comes down to for me. The community is not diverse. It is not equitable. It is not inclusive or welcoming. 
So maybe your community is full of a bunch of people with the same experiences who think exactly the same way. And that can make it hostile to diverse participants who are not just like you. Or the community is not equitable. You don't have procedures that make sure that everyone can participate. Or the community is unwelcoming and it doesn't make anything do anything to allow you to feel included. And the simplest way that this shows up is that interactions feel hostile, unfriendly, and just leave you not feeling great. You don't look forward to having to communicate with people in the community about issues you're having or ideas that you have. If some of these pain points are part of a community that you belong to, you might hear one of these comments. I could have done this better myself. I don't have time to explain everything to you. These volunteers don't know what they're doing or they're useless. There's no way to get rid of this dead weight, these people who aren't helping us. Nobody ever volunteers to fix things or tons of people use my software, but nobody ever contributes. So let's talk about how to make, oh, I'm sorry. How to make more equitable participatory communities. I always believe in validating that a problem should be solved before I put cycles into solving it. So let's talk about why we should make this effort. First, my kind of squishy feelings reason. We attend this conference every year to talk about how to get more people to use free software, to build free software, to engage with free software. If there are barriers in our own communities that are preventing these goals, then we should work to resolve them. And the other reason is because we'll create better code this way. When we invite more folks into our communities and are truly welcoming and inclusive, they will share with us their unique perspectives, their creativity, their passion, and their problem solving. This makes our code more robust and the shared ownership of the code makes people invested in continuing to develop it. So in short, it supports our philosophical goals, but it will also just help us create better software. So let's talk about some tactics. When I look at the community pain points from above, really a lot of them come down to time and efficiency questions. My philosophy is you're going to spend time on your code and your community no matter what. So what are you going to invest that time in doing? Will you invest it in solving all the problems yourself or in training other people to solve problems? Make that choice with inclusion and sustainability in mind, because those are the things that will grow and support your community as opposed to closing it off to more and more people. You should also make sure that you're considering the purpose of your community and ask if the decisions that you're making around doing versus training are actually aligning with your community's goals. Especially when your community is volunteer run, you can expect regular turnover. You can work to make your community welcoming and productive so that people want to stay there, but you should also be aware of this reality. I think that this kind of agile workflow actually makes for great software, so we should leverage it. If you know that you'll have new people coming into your community regularly, think about what they could contribute, not in spite of their newness, but because of it. Can they spot bugs or point out weirdnesses that the rest of the community wasn't looking at or is so used to that it has ceased to register for them? Harness their enthusiasm and accept that they'll help for as long as they're willing, motivated, and able, and that probably won't be for forever. And this is where my DevOps brain is really gonna show. Um, I'm very process and automation oriented, so I'm incapable of talking about anything code related without mentioning this. 
you should have a clear process for getting involved with your community. This can have different levels of formality depending on your size and your community's goals, but it should be clear and easy to find and understand. And you are now going to hear me say clear and easy to find over and over again. You should have really well-documented processes for revision control and code review as well. It is totally fine to be firm about not accepting code that doesn't meet your community's requirements, but you need to make those requirements clear and easy to find. As much as possible, you should automate things because if we can get a computer to do it for us, then we can go do other cool things. Where this can save a ton of frustration is on initial onboarding tasks. So if you are repeating anything over and over and over again, when new folks join your community, see what you can automate so that you can go do something else instead. Finally, it should be very clear who has decision-making authority in your community. You don't have to accept a giant merge request where somebody rewrote your entire code base in Haskell just because they love Haskell so much. I mean, who doesn't? But to prevent frustration from folks who really feel like you should choose their code, you should be able to point to a clear process that shows who gets to make that final call and how they make that decision. A few more things. Limit access to more complex or mission critical tasks until folks have a proven track record. And this includes those people who join and they are just super confident. They've done all of this before. They're going to save your organization. They see all these places where you're doing things wrong and they can fix them. I would ask that those people still go through the same onboarding process as everyone else, because onboarding is about understanding community goals and values too. And if they don't have the patience to learn your values and your processes, then all of that rockstar power that they have may not actually be super useful for your community. Another of my must-haves is clearly labeled issues or bugs, and that should include separating out new ideas and nice-to-haves from bugs and core functionality. Again, you're just being transparent about your community's priorities. So as to prevent later confusion or disappointment when you don't prioritize somebody's pet nice-to-have thing over a critical bug. Finally, some higher level stuff, you should always be looking back to your goal or your vision and be willing to share the why behind your choices. If you make a habit of being clear about why you're doing something, you will build trust in your community and you'll actually save time when you don't have to answer those questions repeatedly. Just be transparent up front. So automation, endless patience, utopic communities, that might sound like a lot of work to you. And to that, I'd say, well, maybe it is, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Again, your community is going to require work no matter where you choose to focus your energy. It's up to you to decide how you contribute and whether or not your contributions will help to sustain the community. If you are striving to solve problems in elegant, evolving ways, then consider if you can shape your community to help accomplish that. And finally, remember that we can use our free software communities to help normalize free software and make it useful and available to everyone. And that means being inclusive. Also, I just think it's worth the work to create a community that people really love being part of. I think it's worth it to create something that special. I think that is how we build sustainable change. So I'd like to close by uh, leaving you a few next steps and ideas that you can bring to your, your communities. These are just some smaller things that you know you could start doing pretty quickly. So if you're looking for some simple ideas, I would encourage you to think about the, com the communities that you participate in. 
Why are they important to you? What do you hope they'll accomplish? If you're participating in a group where you aren't part of the leadership, then do you feel like you know the leader's goals? Do you feel like you know the community's mission or goals? Can you easily find that on the website, the repository, or wherever you interface with the community? If not, I would consider asking the community to make that more findable for new community members. And if you have the ability to do that yourself, then you should. Next, uh, take a good long look at your community formation and consider why it might be the way it is. For example, are all of your community members coming from the same place? Do they have the exact same experience and context and needs? Are you seeing a real dearth of representation in your community? If so, consider doing some research about where you could post your call for participation so that more diverse communities see it and make sure that you're committing to a space where they will feel welcome and included. If you have an application process for joining your community, you can also include some questions on that application about anything that kind of turned people off, made them less interested in participating, anything that made the process of joining the community less inclusive, or any accommodations that would make it easier for someone to participate. And you can regularly ask your existing community members that as well, so that you're continuing to adapt and build the community based on its users' needs. Uh, one way you can limit onboarding pain is to not accept community members all the time. Now, there might be different processes if it's very easy for you to add new people to your community and have them feel useful and welcomed. But if they need to learn about your system before they can be productive, it can be useful to limit how many people you bring on at once. Also, this model makes it easier to train new people on onboarding processes so that you can distribute that work as you continue to grow and accept more community members. And uh, if you have a limited call for participation, you can also tie that to asking them to commit for a certain amount of time. So it makes it a little bit easier to get like a three month, six month or one year commitment from the people who have gone through that process. Also think about what processes you can automate again. Um, how can you make least effort documentation that is easy to keep current? What practices around comments and code and in revision control can also act as documentation? Again, this is about shifting where the effort goes so that it's more sustainable and more supportive of your community members. Uh, once you've got a community, a great way to make sure that it stays lively and active is to audit your processes for equity and inclusivity. Are your practices clear? Is the work flexible enough to account for different lifestyles and time zones? You aren't going to fix every possible language barrier, for example, but you could be transparent about where translation volunteer work could be really useful. Also, are accessibility needs preventing people from volunteering? If they are, I would say you're also limiting how much end users with those accessibility needs can use your software. So supporting those volunteers helps make more robust software that also supports our end users. Uh, finally, you might be looking for a way to give back to your volunteer community or a way to impact, um, increase the impact that free software can have. There are tons of ways to do this, but here are just two quick ideas. Um, consider what other communities you can align with. Us free software fans tend to have other movements and groups that we care about, so you can leverage your skills in free software to help meet the technology needs for a social movement, maybe. This can help both communities because you're giving members of that social movement training and inclusion in your free software community, and you're also helping their movement to work using ethical software choices. People who are concerned about other kinds of ethics may be more aware of why they should care about free software 
And it's also a way for you to bring more of that diversity into your own software community at the same time. And then a second idea is you can offer to help your community members frame their learning and participation so that they can leverage this experience on their resume. This is something you can do without a huge amount of effort and it can drastically change their lives. By helping our community members build their skills in free software work, we increase the number of people bringing free software into their professional lives. And that is a beautiful way to both support our free software communities and to help invite many more people into the world of free software. Um, this talk is mainly, I would say, focused on people who have some community organizing, but I did just want to leave you with a couple thoughts on how you as a member of a community can also contribute to the culture and vitality of your organization. If you're more experienced in the work that your community is doing, you should try to keep your beginner's mindset. Remember to think about problems as, as if you were a newer community member and not assume that everyone has all the experiences or answers that you have. Try to be curious and interested in their thought processes because they might actually be pointing out UI clunkiness or accessibility issues that you had not had a reason to notice. When we join a community, we're often thinking just about the problems that we personally can solve. I mean, that's why we joined. So I would encourage us all to be thinking instead about how we can use our problem solving skills to build communities. Sometimes you need to be the person who fixes that terrible bug. You're the only one who can do it. But other times, is it more powerful for you to be the person who shares that knowledge with others so that they too can fix terrible bugs? Always be thinking about community growth and well-being and let that guide how you work. Again, be curious and genuinely listen to other people. Rather than assuming that you know the most in a room, you can use your leadership skills to make sure that everyone is heard and included. And finally, if you're seeking out a new free software community, know that there are tons of them out there. Read about their mission, their values, and their community standards. Don't be afraid to ask questions about the community and how it supports its participants. It's okay to decide that a community is not a fit for your needs, but don't give up. There are vibrant, welcoming communities out there for all of us, and I hope that our free software communities continue to grow and blossom. And that is all I have. Um, thank you for your time and attention. I have had half an eye on the chat, so I could see there was some lively discussion going on that I will catch up on. Um, I'm gonna take questions now, but I also just wanted to give a quick plug for my workplace because we're hiring. Um, so feel free to email me or talk to me afterward if you want to know more about that. I'm gonna put my email up on the screen. You can also reach out to me if you wanna talk about equity issues in your software community, or I'd love to hear if you are doing other things that I didn't talk about to help build inclusive communities. So definitely uh, email me, but first I will say thank you very much and open it up for questions. Ah, very good, that was excellent there. Uh, one of the first questions from Quillo asked earlier that you may have missed, how to deal with newbies who don't want to do the work or should I spend time to help someone who I think will make the effort? Yeah, I think um, I think it's just about being really clear. So if people don't want to do the work, then that's fine. They're not going to be in the community for very long. But I think you just have to make it really clear up front what will happen if they don't want to do the work. So you set the, ex the expectations really clearly and you make sure that they have access to that when they join the community. And then there's a clear process for what happens if they are not participating and you follow that process consistently for everyone. Ah, very good. Tom Zane asks, 
how can the choice of software licenses help to foster a community? Would choosing a copyleft license over a permissive license solve some of these issues? I mean, yes, I, I think that um, licensing your code so that it's much easier for people to play with it and learn from it and change it and build their own things is hugely important. Um, I think that that freedom is one critical component, but I also think that uh, there are social things that we can do in our communities to convey that it's not only allowed, but actively encouraged for people to have that sense of play and learning around the code that we create. So yes, we should license our code so that people can do that, but we should also make sure that we're communicating with them about why we think it is useful and cool that they would do that. Great, a combined uh, education along with uh, that, trying to get them on board, but also educate them about things. I like that. Um, uh, Quillo asks, uh, how to make a community where old newbies can guide new newbies? Because of course we all start out as newbies at some time. Um, okay, so a community where old newbies can also guide new newbies, is that what that was? Yes, yes. Yeah, so I really like the idea of kind of a graduated system where the more you learn and the more time you spend in a community, the more social capital you have in that community. So maybe a system where, for example, um, once you reach a certain level of knowledge in the community, then you become part of the group that supports the tier kind of uh, directly uh, below you in knowledge level. So you're still pretty close to having had those questions yourself. You haven't totally forgotten what it was like to feel frustrated and confused. That's a great time for you to be participating in a group that would maybe answer those questions, try to clarify things in the documentation that you didn't understand, you know, before you get so deeply into more complex problems um, and have lost that mindset that you had when you were a newbie. Um, so I like a model where uh, the community is really deliberate about saying the next thing that happens when you graduate from being a newbie is that you join the newbie support team for a set amount of time. Very good. A lot of projects with bug trackers or bug report mailing lists or other contract forms, there'll be a lot of people who uh, use the project and then they'll submit a bug and then that bug is not really a bug. You know, I'm sure you've seen it where it's like someone will say a bug, it's and it'll be something that you just read this and you kind of go, oh, it's not a bug. How do you deal with that? What, how, should I, how should I deal with bug reports that are not bug reports? Um, okay, so if it were me, I would probably uh, have a real time limit on how many times I could answer the same question over and over again. So I would definitely make sure that I had some sort of FAQ um, where you respond to the bug with a link to the FAQ page, just kindly saying, this is our process for submitting a bug report and these are the things that are bugs um, and we will close this because it doesn't meet those guidelines, you know, read the guidelines and properly submit this thing. But I would also say if, if people are submitting things that are just like random complaints about the software or just comments about things they would like, um, having some sort of open forum or some area where they actually can share that um, it would be nice to just say, actually, a, a great home for this is over here on this forum where you can talk about whatever you want. Great. Uh, Lunar asks, could you recommend some projects that you believe would be a good inspiration? 
Yeah, um, I mean, I think no community is perfect, so I can only speak to the ones that have been uh, really effective for me personally. A lot of my coworkers contribute quite a bit to the Drupal community, um, which has really put a lot of effort into community building. I would say not perfect. There have definitely been some high profile um, instances of it not being great. Um, but I also had a really great experience at the Organization for Transformative Works, which has a, a rolling application process. You commit to a certain amount of time they're trying to use free software and the things that they do. It's volunteer run. Um, they've done a really good job, I think, of, um, of feeling like the community matters as much as the end product, that the, that the two things are really inextricably connected. But I'd love to hear from others if you have also had good experiences. I'll also give a quick uh, shout out to um, SecureDrop. I know that they have a nice bug tracking system where they are actually listing the complexity of the bugs. And I remember taking a look at that at one point just because they're a cool organization that I found out about at Leave the Planet. <laughs> cool. So um, how important are things like project coding standards uh, for helping newbies online? I think that they're critically important. And I think it's important that um, even the people who have been there for 50 million years are also adhering to them. You know, I think that consistency and clarity of standards are both key. So it doesn't matter that you have a coding standard if people can't easily find and figure out how to adhere to it or if they're getting the impression that it only matters for new folks. Uh, Noemu asks, do you have a suggestion for transforming from an informal group of people interested in taking action to actually taking action? Yeah. Um, so I think that um, some kind of goal and context setting is pretty critical. Um, so start out by figuring out exactly how big is the thing that you want to accomplish um, and then frame your community around getting to the point where you can do that. So what I mean by that is uh, if I say like, I'm going to change the world, that's such a nebulous thing. In what way am I going to change it? For how long? You know, how large is the impact I'm going to have? How many people do I think it would actually take in order to do that? So I would say um, figure out some framing around exactly what the thing is that you want to happen so that you can target the places where your community uh, needs to change in order to get there. And then um, also start looking at what other grassroots groups have achieved change on the scale that you're interested in achieving, even if it isn't actually the same kind of change that you want to make. You can go to them for inspiration, look at their tactics, and start to figure out how your community could use those to make that change that you're interested in. Bit more nebulous answer, I'm sorry about that, not super specific. Well, very good. Well, I think we've all enjoyed the talk. I know I have, this was uh, really fun for me, so I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you all for coming.